Hello, and welcome to the BNB podcast. I'm Stephanie Petrella, the editor in chief of BNB Russia and Ukraine, and I'm here today with Chris Miller, the director of FPRI's Eurasia program, and John Hillman, director of the Reconnecting Asia program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Hi, guys. Hey, Stephanie. Hey, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. Of course. So, Chris and I today will be talking with John about his new book, The Emperor's New Road China and the Project of the Century. His book looks at how China's massive infrastructure project, the Belt and Road Initiative, is unfolding on the ground. So, John, you, you tell a really interesting story about how the idea for this book was born while you were sitting at a border checkpoint between China and Kyrgyzstan. But to back up from that point, how did you initially get interested and involved in Eurasian infrastructure and, and what ultimately led you to write this book? Thanks. So I, I think um, have always been interested in um, Eurasia broadly defined, you know, there are different ways people define that, but my background, um, my academic background in college was actually more focused on Russia. Um, and it wasn't until actually I started at CSIS four years ago with this Reconnecting Asia project that I spent more time on infrastructure and I spent more time on uh, tracking Chinese projects. And so this, this Reconnecting Asia project, which studies the supercontinent of Eurasia, um, which is, it was founded in honor of Zbigniew Brzezinski, former national security advisor. Um, and our, that geographic scope is, is reflective of his mental map of the world, um, which uh, I think he you know, convincingly uh, put it was you know, the proving ground for great powers uh, throughout history. Um, and so that's how I ended up focusing on that part of the world uh, for the last four years. So John, tell us about your take on BRI. Obviously, this is something that everyone has been talking about for some time now. Is, is this the project of the century? Is this a branding exercise? How should we interpret what it actually means? Yeah, so I think one of the lessons um, that I learned um, at some point in my Belt and Road education uh, after going you know, to Belt and Road conferences in China um, and then monitoring projects in different countries participating in the Belt and Road um, is that this is something that was vaguely defined to begin with um, and then different interest groups defined it to kind of fit their own agendas and so the Belt and Road um, did become a brand in, in many respects and was applied to things that to me have little to do with connectivity which is at the heart of the Belt and Road so things like um, art exhibits in China or a marathon in Serbia. Um, and, you know, I think, I think in some cases, China has been happy for, for people to run with the Belt and Road brand, um, but maybe not so much when they do it in ways that are not so flattering. Um, so, for example, I think there's a recent case um, of someone starting um, a casino um, outside of China and trying to do it under the sort of Belt and Road banner. Um, and the Chinese government, I think this is one of the few times when I've actually seen this, they, um, they made a statement saying that this project was not part of the Belt and Road. But otherwise, they've been, I think, happy to let people make the Belt and Road what, they, what those people would like it to be. Um, and that, I think, contributed to a lot of early activity, um, you know, more countries joining, more groups being involved. But it's also made this, I think, almost impossible to manage. 
So one thing that's interesting about BRI from a Russian perspective is just how different the interpretations are of the project and what it means for Russia and China's cooperation. So you have, on one hand, people saying that um, it's just China's attempt to steal Central Asia from Russia. And then on the other hand, you have like Putin talking about the prospects for this great Eurasian partnership. So how do you assess Russia's role in the Belt and Road Initiative? And what are the prospects for linking the Eurasian Economic Union with the Belt and Road Initiative? Well, I think in some respect, Putin is doing what all these other interest groups were doing, but on a much bigger scale um, by taking his idea um, for a, a greater, greater Eurasian partnership um, or you know, saying that they're going to link the Eurasian um, Economic Union with the Belt and Road and, and kind of stitching this idea onto China's bigger um, initiative. And in doing that, trying to suggest, I think that, they, that these are almost equal ideas. Um, so there's, there's I think it, you know, it's, a, it's a clever approach, although I don't think that um, globally, I don't think that it's worked very well. I'm not sure many people know about um, you know those Russian-led initiatives as much as they know about the Belt and Road, um, and you're right that I think underneath this there are different interpretations. But at least on the highest levels, um, you know Putin and and um, Xi Jinping, you know whenever they get together, uh, they will mention both of these things um, and they will talk about them as cooperative. And you could see theoretically how they might be cooperative. Um, you know, China's Belt and Road Initiative, very focused on hard infrastructure, um, and the Eurasian Economic Union, maybe you know, focused on soft infrastructure. Um, but these things are are not so compatible for other reasons. Um, I think I think Russia has a lot of defensive economic interests that are going to limit its really you know ability to integrate or its willingness to integrate with China economically. Um, and just China's sheer size, just the really the disparity between these two partners, economically, demographically. Um, I think it, it, you know, you can talk about it being a partnership, but it would be a partnership of unequals. So to what extent should we expect the Belt and Road Initiative to alter global trade patterns? We, we hear about China-Europe rail that crosses Eurasia. We also hear about the Polar Silk Road, which um, intersects uh, Russian waters in the Arctic. Uh, how real is this potential shift to global trade? And if it materializes, what does it mean for Russia? So there, you know, there are new trade routes that are opening up. Um, you know, you mentioned China to Europe rail services. That's an example of something, you know, 10, 15 years ago, very limited service between China and Europe by rail. Um, now there are over 50 cities in China and over 50 cities in Europe connected by these rail services. Um, but in really the bigger picture, they're only carrying a small fraction of global trade, uh, which is really still dominated by maritime trade. And so, you know, as compelling as the idea is that, um, or as enticing as it is that the Silk Roads are, are returning, um, you know, they're, they're not in, a, in an economic sense. Um, you know, there is, not, there is not a massive shift to overland trade. Um, the rail services are growing, but they're also heavily subsidized. And I think um, their economic future is you know, a little bit uncertain. Um, you mentioned the, the Arctic sea route. Um, I think there's interest in, in using that certainly, um, but I think that you know, the, the even bigger interest in the Arctic is getting things out of the Arctic, you know, getting energy out of the Arctic rather than getting things through the Arctic. 
Um, and so you know, I think these routes are going to be really meaningful for places that are um, at uh, hubs, you know, so places on the border, if you're talking about land routes where, where these, um, where goods are maybe being transferred. Um, but I don't, I don't think, I don't see them as really game changing uh, in terms of broader um, flows of, of global trade. So one thing that, um, you know, is really great about the book is that you actually tell these stories about visiting the various infrastructure projects and what it's like on the ground. And one of the stories that obviously really stood out to me was um, the story about you getting detained at the Russian border when you went to check out the bridge crossing between Russia and China. What was that like? Um, so you guys are going to make me relive that a little bit. Um, <laughs> I think it, it uh, so in retrospect, maybe I was naive to think that there wouldn't be any, any issues, but I've seen so many projects in so many places that there, there really usually aren't any issues. Um, and people are usually, if anything, a little bit surprised and kind of like flattered that you would make the trek to see their project. Um, uh, but that was not the reaction that I got. And to me, it was a, a really interesting experience because, you know, I went to look at this bridge that's being built to connect Russia and China and got two very different reactions on this on different sides of the bridge. Um, and so on the Chinese side, I did get that sort of more um, surprised, amused, but very receptive, um, uh, welcoming. Uh, on the Russian side, um, there was, you know, a, a group of border guards um, that took the opportunity, um, you know, maybe this is the most exciting thing that's happened there um, in, in, you know, the months beforehand, but took the opportunity to spend most of the day with me and ask me lots of questions about what I was doing, um, because for them, this was a strategic project. Um, and, uh, you know, it, in the reality, it's really, it's really just a bridge. So I think there is this, to me, there was this difference in perceptions. Um, I think the Chinese side, you know, more relaxed, more comfortable, more confident on the Russian side, you know, still a little bit paranoid um, and much more restrictive um, and thinking about this more um, in security terms than economic terms, perhaps. Um, so it was a, you know, it was a very long day. I, I planned on just making it a day trip, um, which sounds ridiculous to just do a day trip from China to Russia, but there are these ferry services and, and lots of people do it every day. Um, uh, but it ended up, it ended up being slightly longer. Um, and, uh, you know, it, not, not at all, not at all what I expected, but, um, Felt like I learned a lot from it. That's a great anecdote for illustrating the uh, the logistical challenges of of managing the Belt and Road and the importance of soft infrastructure and speeding travel or the the lack thereof, I guess, on the Russian China border. But John, thanks so much uh, for joining us today. We've been speaking with Jonathan Hillman, author of The Emperor's New Road: China and the Project of a Century. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me.